MH370 gets a new look, and it's weird. We're going to talk about that tonight. Still think the government won't use your bio data against you? <laughs> think again. And forced labor fish sticks. That's hard to say. Welcome to the Jay Sheldon Show. We, <laughs> we almost did not make it tonight. I had all kinds of whacked out. I don't know what the hell was wrong. Something wrong with the software and the drivers. And again, it's like, uh, here we go. But uh, apparently we made it and we are live on rumble.com. And thank you for popping in. Uh, Corinne, hey, Corinne Hill, good day. Please don't call me sir, it's Jay. Sir was my father. Uh, anyway, <laughs> yeah, we're live on Rumble exclusively, and uh, thank you for hanging out with us. We got a lot coming up tonight, and before we talk about all that stuff, uh, we do want to tell you about our wonderful sponsor, one of them, and that would be Blackout Coffee, the most amazing coffee you have ever tasted. It is absolutely incredible. You get yourself a great, a great deal if you use our link. And they have a Black Friday, Black Friday, a Black Friday deal to salute you exactly, and a great entire website promo code. You can use our promo code, which is J twenty J A Y twenty at checkout. You'll get twenty percent off your first order, and you can find the most incredible coffee from a company that is 100% dedicated to our country, our values. This is an American company. They use American co-ops and farmers to grow the beans. They have a small batch roasting process, which means when you order, 24 to 48 hours after you order, they roast your beans. Ship them out to you for a few days, that'll take, and you get a amazing coffee from the freshest roasted beans you're going to find. Folks, dump those other guys you've been drinking. You don't know how long those beans have been around. And hey, great idea, by the way, for a gift. You, you know, if you got a coffee drinker in your life, I mean, you could buy one for yourself as a gift. But I mean, I'm telling you, this whoever gets this will be more than pleased. You don't have to necessarily get them a holiday edition coffee, but they do have them. Candy cane, flavored coffees, winter wonderland, pumpkin spice, all of those featured on Blackout Coffee's website. Now you get there by going to that link in our show notes and uh, pick, up, pick them up as a gift. They make an inexpensive but truly appreciated gift. And don't forget again, at checkout, J20, J-A-Y-20 is the promo code, and you can get yourself that 20% discount helps support not only this show, but this American company that cares about making a good cup of coffee and cares about this country. Blackout Coffee. Thank you, folks, for uh, <clears throat> for hanging out. Hey, uh, I did want to make mention, by the way, that today is the 60th anniversary of the assassination, the day that they killed uh, John Kennedy, our president, perhaps the last decent Democrat that we've had uh, in the presidency. Uh, you know, and honestly, I was thinking about it just to, before the show started. If John Kennedy was around today, as incredible as he was, 
he couldn't be a Democrat. He really couldn't. He could not be a Democrat given today's Democrats. Uh, sad, but true. Anyway, it is the 60th anniversary of the day that they killed him. They assassinated him. And that is some sad stuff. Very sad stuff. All right. MH370. It's no secret, you may know, that although I am a patriot, I am an American. I'm very proud of that. My show is for America. I don't live there. Circumstances being what they are, I fell in love and moved to Malaysia, exactly on the opposite side of the planet, uh, over 20 years ago, and I've lived here ever since. And uh, this hit home when Malaysia Airlines MH370 disappeared. It uh, obviously was the lead story, not only around the world, but for a long time, and still is covered here in Malaysia. This happened in March of 2014. I'm sure you remember it. The world watched in uh, disbelief as uh, MH370 just mysteriously vanished from radar screens. It sparked one of the most extensive search operations in aviation history. Millions was spent. Uh, this flight, which took off from here in Kuala Lumpur to Beijing, had 239 souls on board. It never reached their destination. Multiple nations got involved, and the Boeing 777's whereabouts remain largely unknown. There have been all kinds of speculation, all kinds of theory. New findings, recent, I mean the last few months, including some rather remarkable footage purportedly coming from a U.S. drone and satellite have kind of breathed new life into the discussions and speculation about this long-lasting air drama. This new theory, which is spearheaded by a fellow named Ashton Forbes, citizen journalist, although he's been security vetted, so his background is relatively impeccable, but the explanation he is presenting with the video footage to back it up takes place in the rather odd domain of UFOs, or UAPs as we're apparently calling them today. Um, it's odd. Uh, the conversations that Ashton has had, he's appeared on all kinds of podcasts, interview shows, and this new footage of MH370 allegedly including some rather unusual UAP encounters. It first appeared on Reddit. I know, Reddit, but, you know, you take the good with the bad. It then went to 4chan, and since has transferred itself mostly on to X, formerly known as Twitter. Uh, Mr. Forbes, I have watched countless interviews with this guy. He does have the background. Uh, he has his own YouTube channel. I'll show you that in a minute. I should have put it in the show notes. I'm sorry, I did not. But um, 
he does have an extensive collection of videos on his YouTube channel if you uh, if you want to check it out. And um, they, they have tried six ways to Sunday to debunk the footage. Ashton Forbes has every time debunked the debunkers. It's very easy to say, oh, no, come on. It's just it's not possible. Until you actually open your mind and look at the evidence. If you question something, question it, but then research it. Don't just put it out of mind and dismiss it because you don't feel like it could be real. They have satellite footage. It's from World of Engineering. When they posted this, they said, please tell me this isn't real. Um, this is an infrared layer laid over top of the footage. And I'm not sure you'll be able to see this, but watch very closely. I'll go full screen. You see this? These three orbs circling around the plane? There it is from there, from the satellite view. Watch again. They circle it. They start to go up and down. Then they converge on the plane and bow. It's gone. It's weird. Ashton's theory is that that uh, he, he doesn't know. Was it UAPs? Was it some government program that, of course, we the public don't know about? Um, of course, there were all kinds of screamers and yellers saying, ah, that's all been debunked. Even Community Notes said it has been debunked. Well, it hasn't been debunked because while they tried, everything they came up with, Ashton himself has said no because of XYZ and debunked the debunkers. The scientific explanation that Ashton is using is that it seems to be macroscopic quantum coherence. I wouldn't even begin to pretend I know what that means, but that's his explanation. Very weird. And there are a lot of articles about this out there. The three videos of the incident, two from U.S. military satellites, one is from a U.S. military drone. Each one shows these three round objects tracking an airliner at tremendous speed. One appears to come out of the water and then it flies into this portal as these three objects converge on it, it's just like a single frame. You can see where they begin to come in towards it. And then social media has gone crazy with this. German tech mogul resident in New Zealand, Kim.com, said the footage was compelling because the physics match up from different angles. So we've got three shots, three different videos of this something to fake something like this today 
in 2023 would be a huge effort, even with the most advanced computers. Could be done. But remember, folks, these videos came out a short time after this plane disappeared back in 2014, nearly 10 years ago. He says the videos are potentially the most significant leak of military technology in history. Dotcom said he believed the videos showed the U.S. military was in possession of some sort of advanced or perhaps re-engineered alien technology, which was used to make MH370 disappear. And it would render America's adversaries completely powerless if it were known that we had this technology. Their existing weapon systems, all of their planes and machines of war would be virtually obsolete. The implications to this are enormous. This would be insane. Now, what makes this so controversial is that this technology has allegedly been used to make MH370 disappear. They believe from the infrared footage that there may have, because there was some <clears throat> huge amount of lithium batteries on board in the cargo bay, there appears to be a fire. The fire suppressant system would make an orange glow Eyewitnesses and boats that saw the plane said there was an orange glow to the plane. So his question, Ashton's question, and a good one, is was this an experiment? Was this because of the semiconductor people who were on board the plane? There were a lot of them. I think 20-something semiconductor employees, engineers, Normally, a company like that with that much invested in huge tech would never let that many of their employees fly on a single flight for obvious reasons. Or was this a rescue operation? Because the plane was going down, there was no doubt about that. But how does a passenger plane disappear without a trace? I'm not asking you to believe this. I'm not asking you to buy into it. What I'm asking you is to open your mind and research. Go to the links in our show notes. Go to Ashton Forbes' YouTube page. I don't like encouraging anybody to go over to ScrewTube, but that's where he's based. He's also on X. You can follow him. It's Justin X Ashton. And check out his page over there. He has a ton. This is his video page on YouTube. He has a ton of videos. He answers the debunkers every time. I have watched almost all of these interviews, footages, analysis with an open mind. Look, I'm not telling you I buy any of this. What I am telling you is that having watched it all, having been a very critical mindset when I went into this going, oh, come on. I'm not saying, oh, come on anymore. This is weird, to say the least. This is just weird. And here is uh, Justin's X page. 
Again, that is probably the most freshest news because he updates that very regularly. And uh, you'll see even up to the minute, uh, they've got all kinds of stuff here. And again, like I said, I'm not asking you to buy it, hook, line, and sinker. What I'm asking you to do is open your mind, don't turn it off, don't, don't hit that off button, and check it out. Read more about it. Find out. Watch the videos. And then make a decision. That footage I showed, by the way, I'll show it again, is 3D stereoscopic. It's been converted into an actual 3D. You could actually use the red, green, uh, red blue glasses <clears throat> to watch it if you had them. Uh, he had a conversation with Chris Leto. It says, this makes sense from a military perspective because it allows for better tracking or targeting of objects. The purpose of these systems to track missiles, boats, planes, Everything, he writes, about the MH370 videos can be deduced and explained logically because the videos are authentic, classified systems, proven to date back to just weeks before the plane went missing. Here, once again, is that footage. Now, watch it closely. You'll see here that, by the way, this is looking down from above. This is, I know it looks like you're looking up at the sky. It's not. This is ocean down here. You are looking down from a satellite. And the plane takes a curve. By the way, even that's been studied. They said, yes, this is the way a 777 would make that kind of a banking descending curve. Do you see the objects here going around? We've got to track them through. Now watch the reverse direction. It'll come back into frame here in a second, and just at the last second, as they converge, I think it's got one more cloud to go through. Yeah. All right, so it's coming up in this segment, up and down, up and down, and then, boom. I wish I had an answer. Like I said, what I do have is a whole lot of time spent watching the proof and I have come away with uh, with the idea that it's entirely possible you know we've always we've always heard these things about how oh the government's got uh, got technology that's 50 years ahead of what we think they have well maybe it's a hundred years ahead of what we think they have Okay. Speaking of technology and things happening that not only are ahead of their time, but were predicted a long time ago. You remember Minority Report? Tom Cruise? Loved that movie. Well, the idiot governor of New York, Kathy Hochul, she has announced plans to implement pre-crime surveillance. No, I'm not kidding. Targeting online hate, in inverted quotes, because, you know, who defines that word? But yes, pre-crime surveillance. 
In a press conference, she outlined her administration's aggressive new strategy for combating online hate and implementing pre-crime-esque online surveillance. What have I told you about it's coming here? It's here. New York's Threat Assessment and Management Teams, TAM, established in August of 2022, that in response to the Buffalo mass shooting, will extend their efforts and start targeting speech surrounding the conflicts in the Middle East. Here we go. Focusing on preventing crimes before they occur. TAM teams given an additional $3 million in investment as their implementations across New York State college campuses. She says, we're creating strategies, first time ever, to help identify hate at the source and prevent crimes before they occur. Minority Report, folks. It's here. It's in New York. Get out of New York. For your sake, for your family's sake, get your ass out of New York. Your bio data is not safe. You are not safe. <laughs> this is a related story. Israeli intelligence is going to be granted access to the national bio database. Yeah. So, you know, when they said, oh, it's for the good of the community, it's for your own safety, it'll make your life so much easier. Just give us your, your eyeball scan, give us your DNA. It'll be safe with us says the government, and you know how you can tell when the government is lying, their lips are moving. The Israeli government is implementing significant amendments in the usage and access of biometric data from its citizens, which could have profound implications for privacy rights this demonstrates a radical shift in the control of civilian and private biometric data, especially during wartime, which is right now for this country, not, not this country, Israel. A series of altered data permissions presently making their way through the Knesset, the country's legislative body, the Knesset, taking the form of regulatory modifications and legislative memos, proposes a scenario, get this, where barring judicial resistance, the Israeli military intelligence agencies and law enforcement can acquire increased surveillance authority. They're going to let this happen. Access to the national database of biometrics that's in Israel one step away from here one I promise you mark my words one step away folks 
Can you imagine if this kind of broad permission was granted to these idiots running things right now in the Biden administration? That's where it would have to end. That's where it would have to end. That would be a line nobody wants crossed. And be prepared, because it's going to happen. Already, military getting involved in things they have absolutely no business being involved in. Postmillennial had this story, great one, links in our show notes. The Air Force Base in North Dakota is warning airmen not to attend a rally, which features Turning Point Action's Tyler Boyer, or they could risk jeopardizing their military career. Think about that. Service members stationed at the Minot Air Force Base in North Dakota got a text message. On November 17th, there was a Dakota Patriot rally, and this text warned them that attending the event in town could jeopardize their future with the U.S. military. Leadership at the base said the issue was with the event was that Tyler Boyer, from Turning Point Action, which they determined to be an alt-right group, was slated to be there. So, a message said, leaders, please exercise caution if downtown this weekend, urging service members to be careful and suggesting the crowd could be confrontational to military members. It went on to warn potential attendees participation with groups such as Turning Point Action could jeopardize your continued service in the U.S. military. There you go. What possible business is it of yours? If I'm off duty, I want to go attend a rally, care what kind of a rally it is. Last time I checked, this was still the United States. Although, <laughs> I do not share stuff from Politico, so this is a first. Politico basically is bullshitico. But, when they get something right, a report on something I find interesting that isn't too slanted to the whack job left, I got to share it with you, and this, uh, I'm, oh. your kids eat school lunches, enjoying the fish sticks, well, this broke, Uyghur forced labor camps are making the seafood that's ending up in your kid's school lunch. Read the article, it's in our show notes. Uyghurs and North Koreans are being forced to work in Chinese seafood processing plants. But hey, let's clean up San Francisco and welcome Xi Jinping and 
kiss his ass some more, shall we? Yeah. This is stuff he does. The federal government purchases millions of dollars of this seafood for the military and school lunches. There is a picture of some of these forced laborers, Uyghurs, North Koreans. Few workplaces are as gritty and brutal as uh, the distant water fishing ships from China. And there are a lot of them, by the way. 6,500 ships. China today operates the world's largest distant water fishing fleet, the biggest in the world, more than double the size of their next competitor. It's rarely easy for crew members to leave these ships, and very often it's forbidden. So far from shore, constantly in transit, operating in international waters, national governments have very little, if any, jurisdiction. Severity and extent of forced labor in China, and especially in their seafood supply chain, has been very difficult to measure. <clears throat> Four-year effort to document the human rights and environmental crimes associated with seafood tied to China. Catch moves from plate, uh, from bait to plate. The Outlaw Ocean Project team of investigators followed and in some instances actually boarded for inspection Chinese fishing ships in several locations including waters close to North Korea, the Gambia, Falkland Islands, and the Galapagos. Chinese ships didn't want to talk, fled the scene. Reporters followed in a skiff through plastic bottles with interview questions written in Indonesian, Chinese, and English onto the back of the ship. And in a lot of cases, deckhands wrote answers and threw the bottles back to this investigative team. Look at that. Wow. Unbelievable. Anyway, the answers they got back, this forced labor from these people, Uyghurs, North Koreans, that China is using all to put that fish stick on your kid's school lunch. Or if you're in the military, your military meals. It's political, I know, but <clears throat> credit where credit's due. This is a frightening, frightening story of insane human rights abuses. Insane. Wow. All right. To Kill a Mockingbird. Do you remember that? I know, it's been a long time, right? This is our last story before we get into our book, but um, I thought it was a nice segue because To Kill a Mockingbird is certainly one of the absolute all-time classic bits of literature. Students, this is from uh, who? Washington Post. Wait a minute, Jay. You put articles in there from the Washington Post and Politico? Are, uh, Politico? Are you nuts? Well, apparently so. Four progressive teachers in Washington's Mocoteo School District 
wanted to protect students from a book they saw as outdated and harmful. And the blowback, ho-ho, fierce. Teachers tried to dump to kill a mockingbird. Students first told Shanta Freeman Miller about how it hurt to read To Kill a Mockingbird five years ago. Stories came out during Wednesday's meeting of the Union for Students of African Ancestry, a group that Freeman Miller, one of the only black teachers at Kamiak High School, founded at the request of the teens. Students shared their discomfort with the way the 1960s novel about racial injustice portrays black people. One black teen said the book misrepresented him and other African Americans, according to meeting records reviewed by the Post. Another complained the novel did not move her because it wasn't written about her or for her. Third teen spoke about how a white teen said the N-word aloud while reading from Mockingbird, disobeying the teacher's instructions to skip the slur. Student recalled in an interview with The Post, she spoke on condition of anonymity for fear of harassment. Did the school really have to teach Harper Lee's classic? Polarizing novel? Mandatory for all freshmen? Anyway, it's, it is a controversial book today, no doubt. Back in the 60s, not so much. To Kill a Mockingbird centers on whiteness, the teacher wrote in their challenge, adding, it represents a barrier to understanding and celebrating an authentic black point of view in civil rights era literature that should be removed. Anyway, they're still deciding. The kids are talking about it and they're trying to get rid of the book. Today, that book would never be published. I promise you. That book would never see a printing press in a billion years. This is the 1960s. We do not live in the 60s anymore. However, that was a classic book which will teach you about the times. Those who choose to ignore history, remember the old saying? Agree or disagree with the wording, words used in the book, whatever it might be, for its time. And even today, it is a classic piece of literature. I'm against banning books of any kind. And I do mean any kind. It's a part of free speech, as far as I'm concerned. Just like a free press. Students need to read these things. They need to be taught what things were like. In fact, if they are, they'll have a much better understanding of exactly how far we've come. Are we there? No, things are not perfect. But compared to the 40s, 50s, 60s, we have come a long, long way. And 
We're going to do our own classic piece of literature now. From almost the beginning, three or four years ago, when we started this show, we decided we wanted to read books to encourage not only you to read, but for you to get your kids to read, get a book in their hands, or read to them. And so we started reading classic children's books. Started out with all the biggies, Wizard of Oz, Peter Pan, Alice in Wonderland, The Little Prince, Winnie the Pooh, uh, you name it. We've done so many great books. White Fang took a little skate to the side and covered George Orwell's 1984 and Animal Farm. And now we're back to the classics, and that would be the amazing Treasure Island. Treasure Island, originally titled The Sea Cook, a story for boys, first published back in 1883, can you believe it? And we have made our way up to chapter two. So let's head into chapter two. It's called Black Dog Appears and Disappears. It wasn't very long after this. There occurred the first of the mysterious events that rid us of at least the captain and though not as you will see of his affairs. It was a bitter cold winter, long, hard frosts, heavy gales, and plain from the first, my poor father was likely to, not likely to see the spring. He sank daily. My mother and I had all the inn upon our hands and were kept busy enough without paying much regard to our unpleasant guest. It was one January morning, very early, pinching, frosty morning. The cove all gray with hoarfrost, the ripple lapping softly on the stones, the sun still low, and only touching the hilltops and shining far to seaward. The captain had risen earlier than usual and set out down the beach, his cutlass swinging under the broad skirts of the old blue coat, his brass telescope under his arm, his hat tilted back on his head. I remember his breath hanging like smoke in his wake as he strode off, and the last sound I heard of him as he turned the big rock was a loud snort of indignation, as though his mind was still running upon Dr. Livesey. Well, mother was upstairs with father, and I was laying the breakfast table against the captain's return when the parlor door opened and a man stepped in on whom I had never set my eyes before. He was a pale, tallowy creature, wanting two fingers of the left hand, and though he wore a cutlass, he didn't look much like a fighter. I had always my eyes open for seafaring men with one leg or two, and I remember this one puzzled me. He wasn't sailorly, and yet he had a smack of the sea about him, too. I asked him what was for his service, and he said he would take rum, but as I was going out of the room to fetch it, he sat down on the table and motioned for me to draw near. I paused where I was with my napkin in my hand. Come here, Sonny, he said. Come near here. I took a step nearer. Is this here table for my mate Bill? He asked with kind of a leer. I told him I didn't know his mate, Bill, and 
This was for a person who stayed at our house, whom we called the captain. Ah, well, said he, my mate would be called the captain, as likely as not, as a cut on one cheek, a mighty pleasant way with him, particularly in drink, as my mate Bill. We'll put it, for argument's sake, that your captain has a cut on one cheek, and we'll put it, if you like, that that cheek's the right one. Ah, well, I told you. Now, is my mate Bill in this house? I told him he was out walking. Which way, Sonny? Which way's he gone? When I'd pointed out the rock and told him how the captain was likely to return and how soon, and answered a few other questions. I said, this'll be as good as drink to my mate, Bill. The expression on his face as he said these words was not at all pleasant. And I had my own reasons for thinking that the stranger was mistaken, even supposing he meant what he said. But it was no affair of mine, I thought, and besides, it was difficult to know what to do. The stranger kept hanging about, just inside the inn door, peering round the corner like a cat waiting for a mouse. Once I stepped out myself under the road, but he immediately called me back, and as I did not obey quick enough for his fancy, a most horrible change came over his tallowy face, and he ordered me in with an oath that made me jump. As soon as I was back again, he returned to his former manner half fawning, half sneering, patted me on the shoulder, told me I was a good boy, and he had taken quite a fancy to me. I have a son of my own, said he, as like you, as two blocks, and he's all the pride of my art. But the great thing for boys is discipline, sonny. Discipline. Now, You'd sailed along a bill. You wouldn't have stood there to be spoke to twice, not you. That was never Bill's way, nor the way of such as sailed with him. And here, sure enough, is my mate Bill with a spyglass under his arm. Bless his old art, to be sure. You and me'll just go back into the parlor, Sonny. Get behind the door, and we'll give Bill a little surprise. Bless his art, I say again. So sang the stranger backed along with me into the parlor and put me behind him in the corner so that we were both hidden by the open door. I was very uneasy and alarmed, as you may fancy, and it rather added to my fears to observe the stranger was certainly frightened himself. He cleared the hilt of his cutlass and loosed the blade in the sheath. And all the time we were waiting there, he kept swallowing as if he felt what we used to call a lump in his throat. At last, in strode the captain, slammed the door behind him without looking to the right or the left, and marched straight across the room to where his breakfast awaited him. Bill! said the stranger in a voice that I thought he'd tried to make big and bold. The captain spun round on his heel and fronted us. All the brown had gone out of his face, and even his nose was blue. 
He had the look of a man who sees a ghost or the evil one or something worse, if anything can be. And upon my word, I felt sorry to see him all in a moment turn so old, sick. Come on, Bill, you know me. You know an old shipmate, Bill, surely, said the stranger. The captain made a sort of gasp. Black dog, said he. And who else, returned the other, getting more at ease. Black dog as ever was, come for sea, his old shipmate Billy, Admiral Benbow in. Ah, Bill, 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 we've seen a sight of times, us two, since I lost them two talons, holding up his mutilated hand. Look here, said the captain. You run me down. Here I am. Well then, speak up. What is it? That's you, Bill, returned Black Dog. You're right in the middle of it. Billy, I'll have a glass of rum from this dear child here, as I've took to such a liking. We'll sit down, if you please, and talk square, like old shipmates. When I returned with the rum, they were already seated on either side of the captain's breakfast table. Black dog next to the door and sitting sideways so as to have one eye on his old shipmate and one, as I thought, on his retreat. He bade me go, left the door wide open. None of your keyholes for me, Sonny, he said, and then I left them together and returned to the bar. For a long time I certainly did my best to listen. I could hear nothing but a low gabbing. At last, the voices began to grow higher, and I could pick up a word or two, mostly oaths, from the captain. No, 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 and an end of it, cried once. And again, if it comes to swinging, swing all, say I. Then all of a sudden, there was a tremendous explosion of oaths and other noises. The chair and the table went over in a hump. A clash of steel followed, a cry of pain, and in the next instant I saw Black Dog in full flight, and the captain, hotly pursuing, both with drawn cutlasses, and the former streaming blood from his left shoulder. Just at the door, the captain aimed the fugitive one last tremendous cut, which would certainly have split him to the chin had it not been intercepted by our big signboard of Admiral Benbow. You may see the notch on the lower side of the frame to this very day. That blow was the last of the battle. That's where we're going to pop it off for uh, today, and we will continue on tomorrow's show with the rest of Chapter 2 of Treasure Island. Loving this book. All right, folks, that's going to do it for us. We will see you again tomorrow. Have a great Wednesday. Enjoy the rest of your day. Thanks for popping by. Be sure you hit that follow button. Uh, follow us over on Locals, too. You can subscribe over there, and please do check out all of our great sponsors down there in the show notes, including pick up a uh, Christmas present maybe for someone you love or even yourself from Blackout Coffee. 
Use the link in our show notes and promo code J20, 20% off your first order. I will see you all again tomorrow. Snort. <laughs>